Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp here for the award-winning Fightful.com podcast here. This will air, oh, December 30th, the day of UFC 207, which we will talk about later on in the show. But I am joined by the man who defeated the Scorpion King himself, Shane Helms. Shane, what's up, man? What is up with that? You posted that video on your Facebook that I saw. The uh, Which one? <laughs> The interaction between you and The Rock. I had forgotten all about that. I, I knew oh, yeah? I remembered the feud, obviously, but that promo in particular where you're like, I know one which, superhero which, who I can beat up. Oh, yeah. You know, that was the very first one, and that was all it was ever supposed to be. I don't know if I ever told you that story. That whole deal was just going to be that one night. And um, Oh, really? After, yeah, after that segment, and that segment was live, you know, so uh, don't fuck up, kid. Uh you know, uh, we did it, and uh, after the show, Kevin Dunn uh, found me, and um, and uh, the only time he's ever done that in my entire career, and I've never heard of him doing that for anybody, but <laughs> he was hard to get a compliment out at times. He wasn't, he wasn't an asshole to me or anything, but he was just busy, you know, and, uh, but he found me and said he thought it was the funniest segment that we've ever done in the company ever. Oh, wow. Like, I mean, I thought, I, I definitely thought it was good. I don't know if it, how, you know, whatever. Uh, I thought that was pretty, you know, that's extremely high praise coming from Kevin Dunn. And then later that night, um, I finally got my hands on Rock in, that, in a battle royal, and I, you could feel the crowd come with it. And so it's one of those things where, you know, in this business, like, a, like, oh, man, they could really do something with this, but they don't always do something with this in this business, if you know what I mean. So uh, I was just hoping that that that, uh, that they heard that crowd and uh, they were happy with it and uh you know, they were, but yeah, it was only going to ever be that first segment, the one that you're talking about, where he called me the hamburger for the first time. And <laughs> that, so yeah, it's good times. That was fun stuff. It really was. Uh, yeah, I gave that kid a rub. You know, it seemed to work out pretty well for him. Yeah, uh, we are talking pro wrestling rules. We got more questions for this one than, gosh, any podcast I've ever done on this. On the on the channel, on the site, uh, there are a lot of rules that some people are confused about. Some people don't understand. Some that some people want cleared up, and I think that there's nobody better 
to have do that than, than Shane Helms himself. <laughs> I think you're this, setting me up this, to fail here. <laughs> maybe. I mean, hey, a lot of these are just going to be like broken records. Like it doesn't make sense. And we're going to talk about rules that, that we think should be added, that should be removed, that we think should be right. benefited from. And maybe you can lend some stuff that people just don't know about, which I'm sure you can. Like, like I said, a ton of stuff. The first one that we got asked uh, about, and it, and it repeated a lot, you don't get DQ'd in the WWE for a closed fist anymore. Now, I remember like in the mid to late 2000s reading, well, they just quietly did away with this. Was this something that you all were told about backstage? Hey, we're not DQing for this anymore? I don't remember anybody uh, saying it. I know like from a psychology standpoint, it's always weird when you see a guy get punched in the face. 50 times and he doesn't have a bloody nose or anything. Um, Mm -hmm. So I never try to do too many personally, you know, Um, but as far as uh, I I can't remember ever being told uh, that it's okay to do punches. Actually uh, it's the opposite. I know sometimes they would try to test the guys and don't throw punches in the first couple matches, you know? And uh, one time they said that to me, they never really tried to test me. I was kind of, you know, proven, uh, there, but you know, with the, the guys coming in from OVW and uh, uh, Florida at the time, you know, they would always you know run those little drills by them. But for some reason, uh, they uh, they got me that night, and I said, "Well, what about the hurry punch?" And <laughs> and the agent goes, "Okay, well, you can do that one, and that's it." So uh, I should add in here that there was no such thing as the hurry punch. So I had to go invent some shit. <laughs> and so I just said, "Well, okay, now I got to do a hurry punch," and I was just kind of oh, joking. What was it? I just started doing. I did the uh, the test the Texas tornado carry my Eric discus punch, oh, but I spun like two or three times. But uh, <laughs> even on paper, I know that sounds like a bad idea. It was even worse in execution because you lose all like sense of where this punch is going to land. And I think it was Christian, and I just punched him right in the mouth. It was like Christian oh, or Matt man. or somebody, but I just spun and I got out of control and just punched him right in the mouth. Like, so that's why the- that was the first and only hurry punch. And you, me and you are big MMA guys. The funny thing is, present day, not allowing closed fist punches would make a lot more sense because you see people get knocked out with closed fist punches all the time in the UFC. So if you want to explain, well, this is why these people aren't getting knocked out by punches, it's because they can't close their fist. Yeah, I mean, but then again, you'll see some guys, they get punched up and like they don't have a damn mark on them. So, I don't, so yeah. maybe the other guys just can't hit as hard. But that's what you're telling the people. Like hey. when you're doing those punches like that, you can't hurt. Evidently, you don't hurt. And I always like to tell the story that, you know, uh, it's supposed to be a wrestling match that breaks down into a fight. That's like the simplest psychology. That's that's the essence of it all. If you go out there and you start fighting right away, it's like, okay, well, shit's already broken down. So you can't tell these young kids nothing. We got a lot of questions about DQs, obviously, because sometimes it's foggy and sometimes for the sake of theatrics, they have to amend some things. One we got a ton of. Why is it not a DQ to break the damn announce table? Because it's outside the uh, parameters, I guess, or one of the perimeter of the ring. Like if it happens outside, uh, and that's a very loose rule, you know. Uh, I, think, too. I, I think that's generally what's accepted today is uh, if it, if you go out of the ring, there's an assumption of risk. And so what happens out there is okay, but just don't bring it in the ring. If you bring it in the ring, but then again, I've seen guys use chairs on the outside and get DQ. It's very vague. 
But I think if you do, if you just use it, keep that in mind. If it happens outside of the ring, it's generally okay. But don't bring the tables or the chairs or the stairs inside the ring. In relation to that, this isn't necessarily a rule. Maybe it's a, it's a probably a backstage rule. Those CRT monitors that are in the announce tables, you always see people pull those out. Now, this, the reason uh, I have a lot of people that always ask, why do they still use those? It's because there's no delay on those, like an HD screen. Mm-hmm. But people are like, well, why wouldn't they just leave them in there? What are you all told about those? Uh, I, I know the way – here's the way it comes off. And the way that it comes off is that you want to hurt the guy, but you don't want to hurt him too bad. So let's move those monitors out of the way. But uh, – <laughs> Because monitors are expensive. That's what we're told. We're told the same thing about the microphones, the monitors, and the cameras. You damage them, you know, that's that's more than a couple hundred dollars there. You know, it's things cost thousands of dollars. Uh, you know, WWE and TNAs, I mean, those things are expensive as hell. You know, top-notch uh, equipment there. So if you damage them, you know, they have every right to take it out of your paycheck. So, But then again, you'll see the guys take it out, and half the time they fucking throw them down anyway. They'll, yeah. they'll take it out so the guy don't get hurt, but then they'll bring it down. The monitors aren't as much as the big cameras are. The cameras that you see the guys on the shoulders, those things are you know pretty oh, high quality. So, I wish they would have like Corey Graves every week on WWE YouTube or really anybody. Have Josh Matthews do it on TNAs and say, this is why we do this. Because we're going to fine them $50,000 if they don't. Yeah, And then it makes sense forever. One of my favorite I've things I've watching. Fined. I've never got fined, but I know guys got fined for breaking microphones. Because the guy will do say some some bullshit and slam the mic down real hard, and like and you need <laughs> microphones on wrestling shows, and uh, you know, especially if you are uh, indie, indie guys out here, indie promoters will tell you, you know, you got guys cutting the promo and the whole time, you just sweat. Don't throw my microphone down because you don't want to go waste money on the microphone anyway. There was a TNA street fight recently, and I loved that they had uh, the Pope break this down. Josh Matthews goes, "Why do people wear their street clothes in a street fight?" And Elijah Burke broke it down, and I never need to explain it again. He said, gear is expensive. They don't want to ruin their gear. They'd rather ruin a pair of jeans than have to go out and spend hundreds of dollars on new gear getting hit with chairs and barbed wire or whatever it may be. And I was like, okay, that's it. It's explained forever. Yeah, and see, back in the day, that always made the street fight stand out more to me because you would see Arn Anderson and Barry Windham in them blue jeans, and they always had the knee pads outside the blue jeans. And yeah. wearing cowboy boots, everybody had to wear cowboy boots in the street fights. Even if you never wore cowboy boots in your life, they would always do that. But I thought it always, you know, added a, a cool new element to the street fight. You know, nowadays you see so many guys in gear that is street clothes anyway. It kind of takes away that. Like, you know, if you see John Cena in a street fight, you know, what if he wore trunks? Verse. You paying attention, kid? Yeah, I am. Sorry, you. Are you reading the questions? No, yeah, like I, I'm, I'm still getting he wears, questions. He wears the jeans shorts all the time, so I think in a street fight he should have to wear like wrestling trucks. <laughs> he used to. Back in the day, he used to. I wonder what made that change, and I wonder why he has. He's got that big old ass. He looks weird yeah, in trunks. He, so here's he, a here's a fun. You go back and watch John Cena. He's got like uh, a small person ass, a little person. He got these big gigantic butt and these big long ass feet. <laughs> And aesthetically, he looks a little odd, you know, so he looks yeah. a little bit more cooler and stuff in the in the jorts. My grandmother is a John Cena fanatic. Like, she'll, like, when I would go over, I would occasionally watch a pay-per-view at her house. She loves John Cena. I went to visit her for Christmas, and she was 
She was incensed. She was livid. I told her, John Cena's coming back to SmackDown this week. And she goes, I don't know about him anymore. And I was like, why? And my cousin said she watched Trainwreck and she saw his ass and she got mad. Wow. She was upset that this wholesome John Cena would dare show his ass in a movie, a rated R movie. Was she under the impression that he didn't have an ass? <laughs> that's, that's what I wonder. I was like, you know, people have asses, Grandma. And they're all generally cracked, which is strange. There are no perfect asses. I've seen a couple, and they were pretty close. That's true. That's very true. That Tumblr of yours, that famed Tumblr. Don't look at my Tumblr. (laughs) Oh, man, I, I don't know where to keep going on these. There's so many. Do you think the DQ in a title match should be changed? By that logic, couldn't anybody just have their buddy run in and save a title for them? Yeah, I think they should. They should. If you DQ'd, you lose the belt. I mean, that's how I would modernize that. Your boy, Vince Russo, did that for Rocky Mountain Pro. I, I think it's, I think that's a good call. Tell Vince Russo props. That's a good call, especially okay. if it's something intentional, like not yeah. like uh you know, say MMA, you accidentally kick a guy in the balls a couple of times. But if it's intentional, man, you lose. You lose. And hell with I it. wish money were more of a factor in pro wrestling like it is in MMA. Like you hear these guys and they say, I want to win because I get double my money. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. They're all supposed to be prize fighters. If you say, hey, if anybody gets involved in a title match, they better, you know, it's like the old Chris Rock thing. You shouldn't ban guns. You should just make every bullet $5,000. That yeah. way if somebody gets shot, it's like they must have did something. They did something bad, yeah. 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 But yeah, I would do I would do that. That's a uh, it might be something we implement anyway. I hate DQs in uh in matches. You know, I know old school, but that would piss you off when a horseman would d- get DQ'd yeah. and and it served its purpose back then, but but it's been done to death, you know, and uh you know, with with how our audience understands pro wrestling now, it's a little bit different than how they understood it in the 80s. Uh, especially in the 70s. So they're not going to buy that DQ thing like that. So, I mean, you might as well just use it differently. If you get disqualified, you lose the damn match. You lose your belt. I'm going to take you old school here because you don't see this anymore. Taped knuckles back in the day. I remember it got comical in the mid-90s with Jim Duggan. He would carry that roll of tape next to his balls and he would just wind it up and just punch somebody. What was up with that? How did you feel about that as a kid? Did you understand it? Uh, I think as a kid, I thought it added something to your punch. So I remember I was getting in a fight with somebody, and I take my fist up, and it didn't do shit. <laughs> Might give you them know, a rash on their cheek. Uh, I mean, in boxing, you know, you, you tape your knuckles and stuff, but, like, there's a little padding and stuff like that, and uh, that's more to protect your knuckles. And uh, I guess you can punch harder when you, when you do that, you know. So, um, but, like, uh, You'll see a lot of guys, and I don't know. I used to do it a lot in wrestling. I would still take my knuckles uh, in uh, in WWE, especially on the indies and stuff. I stopped because I had to buy the tape. <laughs> it's not like it was that expensive, but I would just forget to buy it and shit. But I used to take my wrist like uh, from probably halfway down my forearm. But that was a lot of wrist support too, because uh, you know uh, the, the style I had. I would you know protect my wrist, but I would tape it all the way down to my knuckles. You know. I got a lot of boxer breaks from punches in, in my hands. Oh, so. yeah. yeah. Somebody says, why is the hand raised or why isn't the hand raised three times during the submissions? Well, 
during what will change it. Why is it raised three times during like a sleeper hole? I mean, I got to imagine it's just for dramatic effect, but what do you think? Uh, it's just to symbolize the three count. I mean, one, yeah. two, three. So it's just a yeah. symbolic of the three count. Now, I mean, too, uh, and nowadays, you know, when you, if anybody watches MMA, you raise their hand and it's down, that person's close to death. You know, you're turned out. So uh, it makes more sense. Now, raise it one. If he's done, let's get him out. And, and to that point, there's something I wanted to say to you uh, last week in the Paige Van Zant fight. That was the perfect. That was the perfect stoppage, maybe of all time, in, in forms mm-hmm. of a choke, because she her arms went limp. That referee grabbed her, but then she was right awake. So she was yeah. that close to going completely out without going completely out. And I noticed that thought process that getting choked out. I mean, it's better than getting knocked out, of course. But it still has to kill a brain cell or two, you know, to go oh, completely yeah. asleep. So, but the thing was, she went limp, but she wasn't out yet. And that's as close, I think, as I've ever seen it. But, yeah, that's why you do it one hand. All right, this person's got to be out. Let's, let's stop them from getting strangled. I know WWE doesn't like their referees to have personality. TNA has always been more lenient on that. Like, you'll have – you would have Earl Hebner back in the day flirting with with knockouts and stuff. I think if they're going to bury all the refs, I wouldn't mind seeing like one ref that you know is a no-nonsense, not going to take any bullshit guy, and mm-hmm. Mick Foley shows up and he's like, all right, well, you're getting Mike Kyoto and the heel's like, ah, oh, shit. I know I'm right. screwed now. I can't pull one over on Mike Kyoto. Like, if Big John McCarthy's in there, there's that, you know, he everybody fucks up. Every mm-hmm. MMA referee fucks up at some point. But there are a lot of them, like, they just don't tolerate shit. Then you got Steve Mazzagatti. You remember him? He used to get people killed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was like the worst referee of all time. I mean, he, you know, not every fight he did, he did badly, you know, but he did have a couple major fuck-ups there, and it just you remember that how kind Brock of became a thing. Him? Oh, yeah, Brock hated him. Yeah, that would, well, I would hate him for that, too. So, uh, yeah, you know, if you're on the receiving end of a bad call, you're definitely going to feel bad about that referee, but – um. To your point, uh, I don't like referees that intentionally try to be distracting, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm not being disrespectful to any ref, but I've never bought a ticket to see a referee ever, and Nick I never will. Patrick. Love Nick Patrick. Love Nick Patrick. Nick Patrick was one of my favorites. But And a referee can make or break a match, man. A bad referee being out of place, out of time, they could totally fuck up things, you know. Uh, and I've had those referees before, too. I've had times where Nick was one, you know, Earl was one, where you never even see him out there. Like, they're always just – out of, you know, out of your way because they're they're respectful of, of the positioning, ring positioning, and they're never in the way, but they're there for the three count. They're there to do whatever they're supposed to do at all times. So referees are very important, and I'm not when I say I don't don't buy a ticket for it. That, you know, I mean, when you watch a movie, you might not necessarily buy a ticket for the makeup lady, but she's pretty important to the damn movie. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't like referees that try to be distracting, but if they got a little personality, man. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, Big John's a perfect example. Herb Dean's a perfect example. Uh, there used to be a famous boxing referee, the bald guy that used to always tickle me, and I forget his name. Um, Miles, maybe something like that. God, you would, I'll know as soon as I get off here, but I would see him in all the big fights and uh, had a very distinctive voice. You know, Earl's a good ref. I like when Earl fi- fires up on people. And uh, his son Brian's good, man. Brian's got a good intens- intensity and, uh, you know, charisma about him. So, I mean, if you're getting outshined by a referee anyway, you know, you might want to question what you're doing. <laughs> you might want to question your ability as a performer. So uh, 
I know sometimes they, they, they kind of overthink that, like as far as the referees, are, you know, having zero personality, you know, you, you need them there. They, they need to be having a, a authority about them. I'll never forget my first match I had, and I showed up and the referee had jeans and a baseball cap on, and I knew it was going to be a long fucking night. But that was in somebody's backyard anyway, right? It was probably the promoter's uncle. Anyway, it was right next to a street, to be fair. I mean, it might as well have been in somebody's backyard. It was it was horrible. It was horrible. Um, why is kicking with the toe or the heel illegal? Uh, I think that was just something they added back in the day. You know, I, I guess <laughs> maybe the toe. A lot of those back in the day rules. The toe, I mean, I guess that would be the hardest part of the boot, I guess, if you're throwing a kick as opposed to the flat because the soles are pretty flat, you know. So, I mean, unless you're getting roach stomped like uh, Vanderlei Silva used to do in Pride. You know, oh, yeah. um, but uh, you know, I I don't have a I don't have a reasoning for why that that exists. But yeah, I mean, kicks are kicks to me. You you still see a lot of that today. Like I mean, when Stone Cold Steve Austin would kick you, he would almost turn out the flat of his foot and kick you in the stomach. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was kind of interesting how how that still kept going. In MMA, like we were always taught, kick with your shin, not with your foot, not with your toe, unless there was a certain kick like. There are some kicks like that. Heels, I mean, <coughs> Lando Venata will show you. Edson Barboza will show you. That's that's all good. A lot of these rules just kind of went away. Like, they just kind of got abandoned. Yeah, kicks kicks are like punches. They just got so commonplace. It's like you're wasting time, like, arguing with a referee over a kick and a punch, you know. So, uh, I mean, Austin's a perfect example. He'd punch, punch you down in the corner and then stomp a mud hole in your ass. So, uh, I mean, what would the referee do there after 50 kicks, you know? Hey, we're going to talk about – we'll talk about stomping a mud hole in your ass. People in the corner, you get the count right there. Why is the count started in that corner? Because Um, of the rope break, technically? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're touching the ropes, you know, so – and that's a rule that's kind of very – abused as far as the guys don't even hardly pay attention to it. You know, you'll be in the corner forever, touching the ropes forever. Um, and it's, it's a weird one, you know. Uh, I mean, that would be interesting, too. What if the rope break wasn't a thing? You know, so why you grab the rope? Uh, the guys got you in the damn figure four. They ain't got nothing to do with it. You know, why is that? <laughs> you know, that'd be interesting if they did away with that. Uh, well, I know that the, the thing, and I remember the Sid Benoit match. It's like, I didn't know that having your foot underneath the rope was a thing, but then it's like, well, if you're outside of the ring and technically if you reach the ropes, you're outside of the ring, I guess. Yeah. I've seen that one. I've seen that one quite a few. And there was a situation. The the first time you saw that. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's the first time that I paid attention to it to where Mm -hmm. it was like, it changed everything. Like, cause I mean, I would see people grab the rope with their foot on the ropes but breaking the plane, I you know I'm sure that I had seen it before, but that was like a really high profile moment. Gotcha. There, there was also a situation a couple weeks ago where this type of situation came into play. There was a triple threat cruiserweight match, and TJ Perkins had a guy in a knee bar, and there's no DQ in a triple threat match. The reason for that is you can't DQ. I mean, you could eliminate somebody, I suppose, but. Other, who's going to win the match if one person Actually, gets we, we fixed that in TNA when, and when we're doing the Team X Gold thing. Uh, we had a situation uh, where Abyss was going to get disqualified, and that's always the thing. How do you, well, what do you do in that situation? How do you disqualify one guy who wins? And I said, well, what happens in basketball? You get enough fouls, your ass gets ejected. 
So eject yeah. his ass out of the match. And so we, uh, and I was like, why has nobody ever thought about that before? Because we're always in these, you know, three, four corners matches, you know, a bunch of people in there and you can't disqualify anybody. Like just eject them just like in any other sport. You know, if you, you know, fuck up enough, get them out of the game. And so that we did that a couple of times. And uh, I hope to continue to be able to do stuff like that. If you got guys, you know, it's a good, it's a good little element to have that you get ejected, you're out and nobody is going to, you know, benefit necessarily from your injection. I mean, the one person that you're breaking the rule against, he isn't going to win the match if there are other people in the match. You know, so the, the match will continue with whoever's left. We fixed that shit, like, yo. I like hearing that you all do that. I mean, they're still fixing MMA rules, even though, like, yeah. a bunch of states aren't adopting them. Like, I I like the idea of pro wrestling also evolving with this stuff. Mm-hmm. There's there's nothing wrong with I Hey, it makes it better, in my opinion. And there was a situation where TJ Perkins had a hold of an E-bar. Mm-hmm. And the refs start to count, and it's like there's no DQ, dude. Like, why are you counting? Now, granted, he can't he can't win the match if the guy's in the ropes because technically he's out of the ring. But I mean, there was no reason for TJ Perkins to let go that damn hold. See, in TNA, his ass would be ejected. (laughs) Ejected. TJ Perkins has been ejected from the match. Well, he got ejected from TNA. So, to be fair. I'll leave that one there. Uh, whatever happened to the rule that you have to defend the title every 30 days? Now, with TNA's taping schedule, this would be rough. Yeah. Uh, hell, I don't know. They defended actually more than 30 days. Uh, yeah, count <laughs> on TV. I mean, if you count all the house shows, you know, hell, you defended a, a million times some. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, WWE that doesn't exist. That doesn't WWE, really... They're defending... In WWE, they're defending titles on house shows every damn day. That's not a big deal to me. It doesn't exist in any other sport. You know, well, Conor McGregor had two fights. I don't think he's even def- – has he even defended the uh, featherweight title? He doesn't have it anymore. I know, but I mean – They stripped he, him. Before he, stri- he said he ain't nope. going to give it up. Yeah, I know. I think it's great. He said he ain't going to give it up. So, um, yeah. I mean, just do what you got. It's a schedule thing. That was I cool. I think walk that, out that was it. cool when uh, the Great American Bash back in the day, the way they originally had that flair wrestle, like every single person in the NWA in the Mid-Atlantic in a 30-day period. He had like 30 defenses or something in 30 days. It was some wild shit. And uh, that that was cool. It's a cool concept. So it seemed like at some point you could go, hey, man, don't I have a surplus of defenses here where we can kind of yes. take a break from the 30? Like if I defended five times in a week, okay, maybe you give me 30 days like off. Like a rollover situation. Yeah, yeah, gotta help me out here, kid. Why are there tag ropes when they are not ever used or enforced? Now, I, I believe you were there when they brought these back, weren't you? Yeah, I always liked the tag ropes, you know. Uh, but not always. Sometimes I, I would forget about it, to be honest with you. And that's what that's the problem with most guys were getting into the match and you just forget about this tag rope. Uh, and then the referee's over there yelling at you and you can't find a damn thing because it flips, it wraps around the. Uh, the turnbuckle and you're sitting there messing with it. The coolest thing I ever even seen done with a uh, <laughs> turnbuckle rope. I think it was in Japan. Steve Carino took his wrist tape and he, t- he tied it to the uh, tag rope. So he made the tag rope like eight foot long uh-huh. and went all the way down the side of the ring. So shout out to Steve Carino for that. That was good. Um, th- to me, that's a neither here nor there. You know, you're in a corner, you know, don't be down the middle of the way making a tag, you know, uh, I like it, but if it's not enforced, it doesn't bother me because I ain't paying attention to the tag. Boy. 
Fuck that tag. Yeah, it's one of those things. Like, I see why they do it. I see why they do it, but uh, I'm okay with uh, it being a little lenient. Yeah. Somebody says, do you think that the ref starting account whenever you go to the top rope is still necessary? I think the only way uh, I think you should count is if you go outside and then climb up. Because you go outside, you're outside of the plane, then he starts counting. You know, if you just climb up in the middle, good point. That I would do it normal. I mean, just do it normal. I mean, I don't, you know, be funny if some guy was up there the whole 20 count and gets, you know, counted out, I guess. I don't know. So it is, a, it you, is a 20 count up there. Yeah. I mean, I guess Damn. on the top rope, you know. I mean, but what the hell I would guess- you be doing up there for 20 seconds? Well, that's what somebody else actually brought up. They go, has there ever been anyone DQ'd up there? We might not know how long the damn count is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, generally, yeah, yeah. I mean, generally once you step out of the rope like Savage does, you know, uh, or anybody that – I mean, I would always climb out the top. I never could climb up backwards. Not that I couldn't. It just always looked ridiculous to me. When you see a guy back coming to the corner and they're climbing up backwards to the top rope, it's just – it, it looks, you know, better to climb outside and climb up, and it's a lot easier to, to do that. So um, that's the way I always did it. And they would start counting, and, you know, by the time they're up to four or five, I'm jumping off that bitch anyway. So I remember Brock in his early days when he would do the shooting star press at dark matches. He would go up backwards, and I thought it looked so weird. This 300-pound yeah. dude just propelling himself up backwards and then obviously yeah, doing what he, he did. The big gorilla. That's going to oh, look yeah. up there anyway. Do you think it's yeah. unusual that no DQ means no count out as well, even if it's not stated that there's no count out? Well, I mean, a count out is still a breaking of the rule and therefore technically kind of a disqualification. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a weird, you know, I mean, I, th- I think they kind of go hand in hand. Here's one that I'm sure you've gotten before plenty of times. The difference in no DQ, no holds barred, falls count anywhere, and a street fight. Why make them separate? Well, I can tell you one difference. In a couple of those, you can't pin people anywhere, so that's why a falls count anywhere is different. Yeah. Do you have anything for uh, the others, or are they just the same? They're, those are all kind of the same. The no holds barred thing, is that's a very strange one anyway. I mean, uh, there's not really hold, many holds that are barred, period. And then once you go yeah. – uh, I mean, if you say no disqualification, then that just implies no hold bars. So those, those are exactly the same. Um, you know, a street fight to me would, like I say, back in the day, you normally see the jeans and uh, not in the traditional wrestling gear that the person has. We've kind of lost that because everybody wears whatever the hell they want to anyway. Um, you know, so uh, the only one that's really significantly differently different is, like you said, the uh, falls count anywhere because – all those other ones, you still have to get pinned in the ring. So um, that, that's the only one that would be any different. I think and a simple I hate, solution. I hate, I hate false county where it matches. We'll talk about that here in a second. Uh, I think a simple solution to the no holds barred one is you can't use weapons. <coughs> Just use holds. Use moves. If you use a chair, that's a DQ. But no holds are barred. Uh, no, what I was, kind I was of experience? About- well, I know, <laughs> I know you got hit with a goddamn frying pan one time in a technically a falls count anywhere match yeah that shit hurt too it sounded like it that's one of those gimmicks where you know it's like is that a real frying pan i'm like do they make like fake frying pans anywhere this is not a that's one of the people go oh there's real chairs 
Like there's not a company that makes rubber chairs not that I know of, you know, uh, nice soft rubber chairs. Is that a real ladder? I would get that one too. Oh, Is that a real ladder? Like you saw me climb up that motherfucker. Like that's really all a ladder does. If I can climb up it, it's a ladder. Not only that, when, when you were in WCW, it looked like they went out of their way to make sure that people knew that those ladders were real because <laughs> WWE was uh, using was black one. ones at the time. There was one they got that was so heavy. And I, I think me and Evan Courageous were grabbing it and trying to carry it. <laughs> and then they got one that was like 50 foot tall. I was like, what in the hell are they doing here? Yeah, um, they didn't think things through. And I, I think, too, with us, it's like, ah, they'll survive. Oh, man. That- <laughs> they weren't really looking forward to our you know, pension plan or anything. Yeah, didn't seem like that one worked out. What other kind of experiences have you had in Falls Count Anywhere matches that made you dislike them so much? Taking bumps on the floor. Uh, yeah, that's you know, the damn, uh, I mean, getting bumped in the ring sucks enough as it is, but now you're getting bumped on the crowd, you're getting bumped on chairs, up the stairs. You know, had, had them where we fight outside, and now you're on the pavement, and you're just getting scraped and scratched all the fuck up, you know, so uh, – and I mean, didn't have the crowd can't see it. You know, that's that's another thing from a production standpoint. And when you're doing those, half the people in the arena, actually more than half, can't hardly ever see what the hell's going on. So it's a real you know stretch. And unless you got a big Titan trying up there, you can't see what's happening. You're missing a lot of the action. And you got to worry about people, you know, accidentally hitting a fan. You don't want that. You got to worry about people getting overzealous and touching you. You know, I mean, I've had people like like hit me in the back and shit when I'm out there. And you know, when you're in the moment too, especially I. Uh, uh, like if you're a heel and you're really in that moment of being that heel, you know, and you convince yourself you're a mean person and you're an asshole and you're trying to be mean to this guy. And now somebody's touching you. It's real easy to like want to slap the shit out of them. You know, so you got to have security there to keep people off of you. It's just generally a cluster anyway. Cluster fizzle, as we say. Which do you prefer, the 10 count on the outside of the ring or the 20 count? 20. Give us give us a little time, you know. Uh but, I mean, if you do a good move on the outside, if you sell it properly, it'll eat up some time. And so, but, you know, a 10 count, it'd be too easy to just to disqualify people. So give 20 seconds is ample enough time to go out there. You know, get your little high spot in and get your ass back in the ring. Double pins. How do you think that should work? Do you think uh, somebody but, should have to have, like, a hand on top? Do you think it should just be contact, shoulders? Give me an example. Give me an example of what you mean. British Bulldog Shawn Michaels. Beware of dog. Shawn Michaels hit that German suplex. His shoulders were down. British Bulldog's shoulders were down. That seems pretty self-explanatory. Um, mm-hmm. they, they, they both were over each other. Let me see if I can find an image of this double pin that happened on Raw. I can't pull. Oh, okay, perfect. Then a few months ago on Raw, there was ah, – son of a bitch. Okay, there we go. There was this double pin. Now, as you can see, Bailey, people said that Bailey is not on top of Sasha Banks, so why would that count as a pin for her? But she is making contact with another person whose shoulders are on the mat. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? I mean, other girls' shoulders are down too. I mean, I mean, this is still based off of an amateur, the Olympic style wrestling. Your shoulders are down, that's your ass. You know, I know the first time I started doing freestyle, and freestyle, the rules were a little bit different than the traditional scholastic rules. And I was a leg wrestler for people that uh, 
might not notice, you know, uh, from referee position, you throw it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the legs, you know, go for the banana split uh, tilts and that, that sort of thing. So I, I threw in a leg and the guy um, sat out. And uh, so I was kind of sitting there and I kind of like braced back on my elbow a little bit. And I would just wait for him to do anything because I was kind of like in a, in a position where I needed to be careful what I did. And I just saw the referee doing something to the side of me. And he's sitting there and he's doing the uh, making the loser sign, but it's two points. He's counting two points at me. And now he's up to six. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? And uh, they don't—they make you wait now uh, in between the, the two points. They don't do it as fast as they used to. But I was like, and I, I, I kind of sat up real quick and grabbed a guy, and I was looking at him, and he, and he gave this other guy six points just because I exposed my back, you know, myself. The guy wasn't doing it. He wasn't initiating it, but I got exposed. And so now I'm down six points, and I got to, you know, work my ass off to get back back ahead of the game. So I look at it like that, no matter what. I mean, your shoulders are down. You count it out. Now, if uh, Bailey got her shoulder up, Sasha still would have been counted out. Her shoulders were down. Uh, I don't know if you're in the match that way. If you're in the match, what would it be? A no contest or something like that? Um, I think it. I mean, I think the easiest thing would be to do the one, the two, the three. It's like, yeah, she was down, but you were down too. So uh, it's we got to keep going. You know, we got to keep. Going. I, I like that too. I completely agree with you. And that that was going to be the next thing that I got. I was getting into. Are there any rules you'd like to see amended, like to see changed, like to see updated? We do live in a world now where people people see MMA fights. People see realistic situations play out. One thing that shoot so bothers me now is guys wearing jewelry in the ring. Like, I definitely think that should be a rule. It, you like, can't wear I, jewelry on a fucking water slide, but you can in a wrestling ring? Yeah, it is so looks – you know, if, I can, if you're in a ring and you're a heel and you see a guy wearing a necklace, you should choke the shit out of him and break it off in his ass, you know what I mean? Uh, and that being said, like a dummy, I have worn necklaces in the ring before. I know with three count, we all, back in those days, there was those little chains that looked like silver balls, silver balls, and everybody was wearing them. So, we, But we were heels. We were trying to look like, you know, pricks anyways, a little bit different. But, um, and I know when, uh, when, when I was the hurricane, it was hard for me to, you know, push my, merch because i was always in costume everybody else got to wear their t-shirts to the ring and all that shit and i could never i never could because um like i said i was always in costume luckily the strength of the character you know the gimmick sales are still fine but uh so they came out with this little pendant that was the hurricane emblem and uh i put it on the chain and i would wear that so at least i got something i could wear in the ring so that people can see it because you're your own billboard you know you want to sh- you know, shield yeah. your merch out as much as you can. And I was in a ring, I was in a match, and Rick and Hunter tra- chopped me, double chopped me, and it flew off. And it's a metal pendant now, and it's got those little fins from the hurricane uh, 
emblem on it. And I just knew in my mind that it was sticking in somebody's eye. <laughs> oh God. I never wore it ever again. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I would like to see that. I would definitely like to see people that have jury take that shit off. You know, you're supposed to be in a fight. You know, you wouldn't go in there with, you know, punk used to have that lip ring. And I was like, man, why would somebody just pull that right out of your face? Yeah. You know, um, they used, I remember when Draws had all his stuff. You know, notice he didn't wear that shit in that damn UFC fight. Oh, yeah. Draws had a match, and they did rip it out. Or, no, I think mm-hmm. it was Val Venus. It was the Val Venus Draws match, but that did happen. Uh, by the way, guys, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sean Ross Sapp. You want to shill some merch? You got a T-shirt? Uh, mainly it's for my fight team and Catch oh, okay. Catch Can Wrestling. I don't That's have any. Who hell would buy your shit? Hey, people try. I just you don't want to. But I, I don't want to be a pretentious douchebag with a giant H on my chest. I sold a lot of them motherfuckers. Boy. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, but I've seen guys that had their ear, earrings ripped out and stuff like that. Like I know when I would have the earrings in three count, it was a collapsible back. So that if you barely touched it, it would pull out and it wouldn't hurt your ear or anything. But, um, you know, it fit that gimmick. Somebody like uh, Baldo, when he was doing Prince Albert, like that was kind of the gimmick. He was all pure stuff, but still, like I was like, man, why don't somebody just rip him out? Yeah, I thought about that anyway. So I would like to see that. Um, I don't know, not too many other rules that bother me too bad. You mentioned the the jewelry thing. It's, I think that this is maybe a rule that should be adopted too in Kentucky MMA. I don't know how it is anywhere else, and it may not even be a rule anymore. They will say in amateur MMA, you can wear a rash guard if you want you like a hockey player and pull that shit over your head and just do whatever they want. Otherwise you better not wear a shirt because yeah. otherwise you, you can, you can get judo choked with it. You can have a lot of stuff happen to you with that. I really wouldn't mind seeing that. That could be a, a neat way for like a heel to, to, to get, get over on a baby face. They're wearing like one of those little shirts. If the Usos are baby faces, they get the mm-hmm. shit choked out of them with that shirt. Yeah, I mean, you used to see that, though, when guys would wear – they would do it with the mask guys back in the day. Like, if you didn't have the traditional gear on, the, the older heels would tear that shit off of you. You know, I mean, I like – I like you know, I'm a bit of a traditionalist, traditionalist and like that. Like, even though I was in that hurricane costume, it was still wrestling gear. I had mm-hmm. knee pads. I had wrestling boots. You know, I had elbow pads. I had my wrist tape. You know, uh, I like so it. It's something that there's. I lose something when I see a guy out there in tennis shoes and he's kicking people in Converse. I remember Edge one time had on Chuck Taylors and he gave somebody a big boot and I was like, you can't give somebody a big boot and Chuck Taylors. What the hell's wrong with you? And he came back and it's like that's all I had on. It was, we were both laughing about it. It was like it just doesn't look like it hurts as much when it's in a little tennis shoe and it probably does. No, uh, I don't know. But anytime I see guys in a, like those little light shoes and. A, it kind of takes away takes it away from me a little bit when they're doing kicks and stuff because I know they got them soft little shoes. I uh, saw a guy work at an involved. I saw a guy work at an indie show one time that I that I went and watched, and he was wearing the costume boots, <laughs> like these little like sixty dollar plastic. Oh yeah, like Halloween things, and they busted apart. Like he did like a kick, and it just like his shoes exploded. <laughs> Back in back in my day, when I first started, if you didn't have wrestling boots, you couldn't get in the ring. You know, so uh, yeah. in the very beginning, I had I was in my amateur shoes and I wore kick pads over them, which you see a lot today. I might have been the first person ever to do that silly shit. Um, but uh, it got to a point where I mean, I was having difficulty in because there were so many big guys that didn't want to work with the little man because it wasn't a thing back then. I was having a you know, fight quite a bit. 
Uh, so the first time I got an opportunity to get some boots, I got them, and they were, you know, I, I still have an old beat the shit. But that was the thing. If you didn't have proper gear, you know, you, you know that some of, some of these gimmicks that you see today wouldn't have, wouldn't have worked back in back back in those days. Isn't it weird? Six feet tall is the little man. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was I was pretty skinny too. So, you know, I was still uh, on the tail end of my amateur career, so I was you know, lean as hell. So, but yeah. Let's be real. We've always seen some of those guys that are like, like some of those promoters that would rather have a 350 pound fat ass who piles himself into a singlet than an in shape thin guy. And I'm like, I, I don't get that. I don't quite understand that. Like, but it won't people that don't look like people in the crowd. You want people that look like that's something that you can only see, you know, you're not going to see, uh, you know, you don't generally see three, 400 pound people in, in singlets walking around town. You know, yeah, so, they're usually I mean, at the they, ER dying of heart attacks. <laughs> very, very true. But, uh, I mean, that, that's where that comes from, you know, and the, uh, I mean, the old school mentality that bigger is stronger and better. I mean, uh, you know, MMA's kind of dispelled that. Hey, real quick, did Cain Velasquez get hurt again? This fucking idiot. Um, was it this podcast uh, I was talking about that, uh, that camp? Yeah. Yeah. So here's what happens. This guy. And, you know, I apologize, maybe not professional of me to call a UFC fighter a fucking idiot, but Ben Rothwell, as much has said, I think he wanted out of the fight. I do too. Because otherwise, why would you go around on the, uh, on the media circuit saying, got my back surgery scheduled for January 5th. By the way, been smoking a lot of weed to ease this pain. Yeah, he might not have wanted to. So. And I remember, you remember the last Damn time he fought for Doom and everybody was like, oh, the elevation, the elevation. I'm like, well, what was going on? Was Cain Velasquez, was Verdum at the bottom of a mountain throwing rocks at Cain Velasquez? Like they fought at the same elevation. Yeah. I mean, if you know you're going to a, a place that has an elevation and it, it, it is a factor. And uh, unless you've experienced it, people don't, you know. If you've never experienced it, you just really can't understand what I'm saying. But think about how you normally breathe, and you think you're in shape, and everything's cool and fine, and now you go out there, and two minutes in, you're like, <gasps> like it, it does happen. Uh, I think Albuquerque, there's a place called yeah. The Pit that we used to do shows in in, in uh, WWE, and not only do you have this super high elevation, you go out there, and when you come through the curtain, the locker room is up a ramp that's like mm-hmm. – a hundred yards away, so it's no, it's at least fifty yards. But it's just up this big ramp, and you got to go. And everybody, you see all the boys come through the curtain, and they all kind of hang around at the bottom, you know, like wasting time. But what what is really going on is they're all fucking out of breath, and they're trying not to sell the fact that they're going to die if they have to walk up this ramp right right away. I know I worked the last time there. I was there. I worked Tyson Tomko, and I, I was supposed to go over. I mean, and I did go, over, but I was just. I was so blown up and dying in that altitude that I was just, I was sitting there thinking like, man, he can just pin me and just get the hell out of here. <laughs> What's the worst you ever dealt with? You, you, you mentioned Albuquerque. I know obviously Colorado can be bad. Mexico city I hear is really bad uh, to the, to a lesser degree, like in the Appalachian mountains. I don't know how much you re- you've wrestled there. Uh, which I was the worst? Camp, I went to camp at uh, Appalachian state. Oh, wow. Boom. How about that shit kid? Um, about that albuquerque was the that's the worst experience i've had you know i did denver colorado springs mexico city monterey but albuquerque was the only time i thought i was gonna die (laughs) (laughs) and uh, i guess i mean actually the tomka match wasn't the last time i was there was that was i think the first time i was there i just had never experienced it and for some reason i didn't know or 
if they told us I missed the memo, I just didn't think it was going to be that high of an altitude problem. But man, you know, and then just little exercises you can do, breathing exercises that can help you before a match. And I just, I wasn't warmed up properly either. And I, I like, it feels like you just, you know, I mean, you're having a heart attack. You, know, you feel like you're drowning, but, but you know, not in water. It's crazy. What are some rules that maybe people don't even know about? There was one that was interesting that, that Harry Smith, the former D.H. Smith, brought up in an interview a few years ago. He said that there's a rule, I guess, that there are only one save per match in WWE in like tag team matches, otherwise it was a DQ, but nobody ever was told that. Like The viewers weren't told that. Are there any like that that you know of? I mean, I've always known about that rule. It wasn't anything that, you know, you don't really do a lot. Personally and stuff, we would always try to implement. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're good. Okay. Uh, I know me and Rosie would try to do that. I I would always try to do the one positive save. Um, But we would build up to it, you know, let the heels be, you know, doing their shit. And then finally I would come in and do a save. But, um I don't think it's nothing. Yeah, that's never been told on TV. Like, I had no idea until he said that. I've heard it said before. I've heard it said before on TV. I mean, I couldn't give you an example of when it was, but. Probably um, in like 1984 NWA turd liner. I've heard it. I've heard it. I've heard it said before, but, you know, that's one of those things. And in, in, uh, especially in WWE, they're, they're worried so much about the actual story that they'll let shit like that like fall to the wayside. And it's unfortunate because that's the rule. You know, I think rules make things a little bit more cool, but you can't let them, you can't let them, uh, be, be, you can't be too much of a strickler, stickler for the rules or whatever. I wish that every time we talked about 1980s NWA, we had a soundboard button that had Bruce Pritchard's impersonation of Jim Cornette. Oh yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> yeah but that man, that was uh, that was my favorite period. That's my favorite period of wrestling. It's and, some good stuff. Like, and I heard. I, about, I didn't grow up. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I mean, I, I didn't get to watch WWE till I was in high school. You know, it just wasn't down here, and uh, but you hear about it. <laughs> and so, and I mean, and the NWA was just, man, they were the cream of the crop, you know? And so when I finally got to see WWF, I was like, man, these guys suck, <laughs> you, know, they yeah. were, you know? And then AWA would come on, like, I only got to see it when it finally came on ESPN, if you remember those shows, and they were half fucking rotten too. And I was like, God, none of these guys are anywhere as close to good, you know, doing, uh, you would see these big crowds and it looked really cool. Well, not in AWA, but in WWF, you see big crowds and, and visually the you know, I didn't know what production was back then, but visually yeah. it looked a lot cool. You could tell. You know, yeah, you could tell it was a, it was a spectacle. But as far as what was happening in the ring, you know, I mean, it was savage and like steamboat. And then it was a big drop off <laughs> between guys that could go, you know. And uh, But that's why I hope work Bundy and all these different guys, you know, you wouldn't, you, there was a certain level when you were working hard. You couldn't be too good to go up there. Um, but you used to watch Flair down. When he was with you know Barry Windham and uh, I mean Steamboat would go back and forth, or did go back and forth, but the, the, all the guys that Flair worked, man, could generally go. Every now and then he was in there with a broomstick, of course, but um, for the most part he'd go in there and just tear it down every night. So it, it was just a higher quality and higher caliber of, of wrestling performer in the NWA than WWF by a mile. Yeah, there's there's still some stuff that like I discover today from like 90 or not 90s 80s nwa because i really got into wrestling around 1990 i was like four or five and 
saw Ric Flair climbing up a cage or something with blood all over his face. And I was like, and I think it was Hawk and Animal. You know, you got some big face painted dude with a spider on his head. And I was like, yeah. well, I'm sold. Oh, sold. yeah. Get me in. Yeah, they But was, then uh, when, you know, I grew up on like Ron Simmons and Butch Reed, then I find out years later, Butch Reed had blonde hair. What? <laughs> yeah. What, what's happening? Oh, I love that team. You know, I, I mean, it's very cool that you like that team. That's what my all-time kind of secret favorite teams was Doom. Man, I love them. I had the the Butch Reed action figure. I pretended he was Ron Simmons because you know they look just alike in action figure. They're both black guys, so that's me, little kid, not knowing any better. And uh, that's you, a little racist little kid. Yeah, I, Kentucky. I was not racist. How dare you? How dare yeah, you? Yeah, racism doesn't exist in Kentucky. I didn't know. I thought it was Ron <laughs> yeah. Simmons. That, that's I the was one place that don't exist. I was. <laughs> You've seen my Facebook. You see how crazy the shit gets sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I, I say this all the time. Me and Shane Helms, all American shit starters on Facebook. Like, yeah, I like to get crazy. shit started and then leave. And then come back and then, see. Then on yours, yours is the best because I, you got like every random ass cameo. Like Vito LaGrasso is popping up there. Disco Inferno is yeah. showing up. Jim Nielsen will show up and people go, who the hell is that guy? And somehow everybody knows Jim Nielsen. Somehow. Somehow. He's the, he's the Kevin Bacon of Facebook. <laughs> he plays it's six crazy. degrees of Jim Nielsen. I mean, I but know I, you somehow because of Jim Nielsen. And I don't know how I know Jim Nielsen. Yeah. Weird. Very good. Now there are also unwritten rules. Okay. Like you were the victim of one of those. Oh. Don't do the kryptonite crunch. Not the kryptonite crunch, of course. Uh, the vertebraker. Sorry. Don't, don't do, do the, the vertebraker. Yeah. Were there any other moves you were told? Don't do that move. Oh uh, no, the vertebraker. I mean, uh, that wasn't unwritten. I mean, I guess nobody wrote it down. You might be right, <laughs> but it wasn't secret. Yeah. They were afraid of it. You know, that was after a series of uh, people breaking their necks. And they were afraid of all power drive maneuvers. But um, that was cool. It didn't bother me none. I got told not to do the choke slam one time. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty famous story. But uh, I was like, all right, I don't give a shit. You know? Why well, uh, can't a smaller guy do a choke slam? Especially after I was told to do it by Vince McMahon. Yeah. But, uh, uh, long story there. It, 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 I don't know. It, it's fine. It, it didn't bother me. Um, I. I think my favorite story of somebody telling another person to not do a move when I was doing that Muhammad Hassan feature that I interviewed you for, actually, mm-hmm. I talked to a few people and Oh, is this about the camel clutch? Oh God. Kurt Angle yeah. telling Muhammad Hassan, Hey, you better go protect your finish and tell Eddie Guerrero to not use the camel clutch. And Eddie's dad invented the fucking move. Let's say I didn't know that either. I mean, I don't know how many people knew who invented the camel clutch. I never saw it until the Iron Sheik did it. You know, so I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of people will might be that we fucking. I mean, that, that was the Iron Sheik's move to me. So, uh, I mean, I, I think if you're on the same show, don't do stuff signature stuff that guys do. You know, so uh, uh, that was a tough spot for Hassan to be in, and but. You know, I was on a show with Mill Maskers one time, and, you know, I mean, I, I do a pretty fucking nice crossbody kid. But I was like, all right, I'm not going to do the crossbody tonight because that's Mill's finish, you know. But then even before, somebody came up and asked me not to do it. And uh, I, was like, no, I said, no, cool, I wasn't going to do it anyway. But, I, you know, I mean, if you you should have enough common sense not to do somebody else's finisher, you know, uh, which uh, I, I got in trouble for doing the chokes, man. But, 
it was my finisher at the time too. So what was I supposed to do, Sean Sapp? What are your favorite finishers? I would, I get the feeling maybe the vertebrae is your favorite finish because it's a kick-ass move. But outside of maybe that, what were your favorite finishes to use? Because you had a few. Oh, I love yeah, doing the choke slam. I love doing the choke slam. You know, it's a good pop. It's a well-known one, uh, and just me as the hurricane doing it. I love doing it. Uh, the nightmare on Helm Street, which was the eye of the hurricane, I love because I invented it, and uh, that was my my version of the shining wizard was uh, was was pretty cool, you know. And uh, I'm still proud that I kept the name, and Muda gave me the thumbs up, so I was fine with that. Um, those those are the ones. Those four, you know. The vertebrae was good, man. But the vertebrae was tough on the guy giving it too, because if you try to take care of the guy, you catch some of the weight on your upper back, and it kind of crunches you down a little bit. So, if I would do the vertebrae like you know four nights in a row, by the end of that fourth night, I was tired of that motherfucker. When's the last time you did it? Uh, I did it on a, a mega show, uh, maybe a year ago, a year and a half ago. Cool. Any omega news? Yeah, there's no. Uh, well, I can't tell you this Omega news. There will be some. The crowning of the Omega <laughs> Tag Team Champions uh, is going to happen at the end of January. We got some new belts uh, made, and, and just like our heavyweight title, which is the best looking championship in wrestling. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, and um, uh, and so I took the tag belts when we were filming Total Nonstop Deletion and made sure that some of the TNA higher ups saw them because. Uh, the TNA tag belts don't bother me. They're, they're pretty neat. But uh, I just think uh, a lot of companies kind of skimp out on these uh, championships, man. They get weird-looking ones, you know. And uh, I don't want to hate on the WWE titles, but they're they're just bland to me. You know, there's so much more that could be done with them. You know, because I harken back to my uh, youth when I saw that big gold belt with Ric Flair, man. I saw that thing. I was like, oh, that's why they're fighting. That's why these guys are killing each other to get that. Okay, I get that. Like some of these belts, man. I was like, I don't want that piece of shit. You <laughs> know, I think it was. I love. I, I think love it was Karen vision. Jarrett. I think it was Karen Jarrett that told me that. that like, yeah. I'll let you go. Uh, what? Go ahead, Shane. Go ahead, Shane. No, was, yeah, man. They 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 paying to see me. Um, now I was saying I love the exhibition, <laughs> but I don't like that belt too much. It's like, eh. yeah. But go ahead. What did uh? What did the lovely and talented Karen Jarrett say? I was talking to her last year when the Global Force thing was kicking off, and she said we had our belts done by a guy who did Shane's belt. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, damn. And those are mm-hmm. some beautiful belts. I knew from when she said that because I had seniors on social media. I was like, well, they're going to be good. And they are. They're beautiful belts. Uh, the yep. TNA belts, it's kind of – it's. I feel like it's one of their oldest designs they have left, those TNA tag belts, because yeah. I feel like those have been around since the Pac-Man Jones era as a Bengals fan. Yeah, those don't bother me. They're they they definitely don't look ugly. They they they're they're fine for what they are. You know, uh, the heavyweight but the heavyweight title doesn't bother me. You know, it's a, it's it's a little bit bulky, a little bit you know almost too big, um, but the design itself doesn't bother me. You know, uh, the X division belt's kind of there. The Grand Championship's kind of there. It's neat, but doesn't do anything for me. The Global Force belts, yeah. So well, uh, yeah, that was my buddy did that. My buddy did the um, Lucha Underground belts. So. Uh, so you can thank me for that, guys, if you like them belts. Great belts. They really are. Uh, I love the TNA title they had. I think it was before this current one. It had like a big eagle on it. And I know that a lot of those promotions, they want to have their logo front and center. So understandable. But, man, I love that belt that they used to have. Um, I thought it was yeah. one of the beautiful belts of, it, of all time. It needs, to, it needs to have personality. You know, this needs to, There's something about like in boxing that green WBC belt. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that's the world championship. You know, there's something about that. I used to like that big green one that Hulk had. Hulk Hogan, that big green one he won from the Sheik. 
Like that was yeah. cool as hell. You know, in the NWA, the big goal, like the little, the, the black NWA belt, the traditional one. I mean, that's all cool historically, but it, it don't hold up to that big gold. That big gold was the shit. Yeah. You know, that old U.S. title, that uh, Magnum Nikita. I loved uh, it. I was about oh, beautiful. Shane, let me just let me just show you what I have pulled up right here. Come as on, I man. was as we were talking. Hey, now. Hey, now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at that. I was about to bring that up. It was a beautiful title. Yeah, I love that one. The U.S. title now. Uh, I, I can't. I don't even know who has it. Who has um, it? Roman Reigns. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Damn, why didn't I remember that? Um, yeah, that was never defended on TV. That was kind of nothing. He, has he? He's not adhering to the thirty day rule. Okay. Well, he actually he defended it on Raw, but eh, he ain't ever losing it. Okay, uh, so before now, we go, so when you say he never defended it, what you meant to say was he just defended it on Raw? Because I mean, those yeah, those exactly. are confusing. I got you. That is exactly what I meant. I love the exactly. old AWA belt too. I got a replica of it here in my uh, in my uh, trophy case. Oh, listen, are I you making are you making me and Matt Riddle Omega champions? I'll, I'll warn you, I'm a shitty worker. Oh, I assume that. <laughs> that is that is true. Matt Riddle's good. Although I, I see clips. I, see I clips did win a match. I did win a match at the Aberdeen River Park one time. Yeah. Are you undefeated there? Actually, I think I did lose a match there. <laughs> this, <laughs> is the match there. this is pointless. Why I am is undefe- I'm undefeated at the Portsmouth High School in uh, Portsmouth, Ohio. Does Matt Riddle have a gimmick? What's his gimmick? What's his gimmick name? Former UFC fighter Matt Riddle. That's his gimmick? Former UFC yeah, fighter? Pretty much. He says bro a lot. Riddle. We have, we're going to have to think of something for Matt Riddle. He can work. He can. Yeah, I know. I've seen, I've seen some of his stuff. Yeah. So that that uh, he's barefoot. He's that Kevin Von Erich barefoot. Oh he's the only God. Could you? I can. There's no way. I, I can I never to, do it. I hate to grapple barefooted. I got to wear my wrestling shoes. I broke both my big toes in a match once. Uh, doing a moonsault. This was before my boots. I did a moonsault from the top rope to the floor. The guy was standing, you know, so I did it and he caught me. But as I went over, both big toes drove down into the pavement. Oh. And so actually that too is why I was getting boots. The boots were already, uh, I was already going to get them, but then I broke my toes right before I got them. And I said, oh, that. Before we go, we'll make some quick UFC 207 predictions. What you got? Ronda Rousey, Amanda Nunes. Ronda Rousey is in fantastic shape. She's not doing a lick of media, no press conference, no open workouts. How do you think this fight goes? I'm going to go with Rousey. You know, other than the Holly Holmes fight, uh, no real chinks in the arm as far as going out there. And I know people go, yeah, her striking was bad. Yeah, it was, I mean, her striking might have been uh, historically bad, but historically she was undefeated and still beating a lot of people's ass. It looked bad against a world-class striker like Holly Holmes anybody's striking is going to look bad uh, in comparison to Holly Holm. Amanda Nunes is bad as hell, you know, so I don't think this would be easy. And if Amanda Nunes uh, whoops Ronda Rousey's ass, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be shocked at all. But I've seen I've seen Nunes handled pretty good at times. And uh, except for the Holly Holm fight, which I think there was a lot of different things going on, I think that was a perfect storm for Ronda to lose uh, as opposed to just getting beat up, you know, in a perfect scenario. So uh, I'm, I'm taking Ronda on that one. Who you got? That's a tough one. I'm going to say Rousey. Uh, I would hope that her and her horrible coach, Edmund, have shored up some of the issues 
like if Amanda Nunes fights her the way she did against Shayna Baszler, she stayed at a distance and really worked from a distance. That could be bad news for Rousey. However, Rousey's boxing was re- it gets really weird sometimes because she stands like when she gets hit, she stands like a judo mm-hmm. player instead of a boxer. And that helps her in some situations, like that knockout power that she has that hardly anybody else has. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like sleep them knockout power, not finish them knockout power. That comes from her judo background. You'll see that a lot with amateur wrestlers, too, who have that core strength, have that leg strength. She has that, but when you see Holly Holm, who's one of the great female boxers of this generation, that that's tough. Now, Amanda Nunes, I don't know if she'll be able to handle that power. As you mentioned, we have seen her handled. Her camp situation, much better than Ronda Rousey's because, like I said, Ronda Rousey's coach sucks. <laughs> but um, I can't wait for that. I, I feel like Ronda Rousey will pull it off. No distractions. I think Ronda Rousey will pull it off. Here's one that's oh, – I can't wait for this. Dominic Cruz, a fantastic, sh- a fantastic shit talker in this guy against Cody uh, you, Garbrandt. You, you go first this time. Who you got? I got Cruz. Yeah, I got Cruz. He's too. a scientist. He's a yeah. scientist. Then we have yeah. less talented Dominic Cruz against more talented Cody Garbrandt in TJ Dillashaw versus John Lineker. <laughs> I'm gonna go with uh, TJ on this one. I will too. TJ's, but, TJ's uh, top notch, you know. I mean, his only his yeah. loss to Cruz. I mean, other than that, and Cruz is the top guy in the division. So having a loss to that isn't like a, an insult to anybody. And the way Dillashaw, I mean, uh, who was it? Uh, Barrow. I always say his name wrong. Who did he win the belt from? Barrow. Hannah Barrow. 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 What the fuck? Yeah. Um, he beat the shit out of that guy, man. That was and that was a good. Barat was awesome. You know, he was really good, and TJ beat the damn brakes off of him. So, um, TJ's good, man. He's uh, you know, like I said, he's probably uh, I think he's actually, he's he's better than Cody. I mean, Cody still might. I mean, if he lands one of them bombs on, on Cruz that day, he's been landing lately. Um, but he's been landing. I don't know if the quality of opposition. If you if you compare the opposition of the guys that that uh, Dominic Cruz has beat against uh, Cody, it's not even close. You know, it's not even yeah. close. But you can't blame Cody for that. You know, he fought who who was put up against, and, and he you know, beat most of them. Um, but TJ is TJ's up there as far as guys that uh, fights good guys and beats good guys. So, um, but the other kid too, man. That. that that one's going to be closer, I think, than, than people. These all fights, all these fights could be really close, but uh, I might get the edge to TJ on that one. This is a really well matched UFC 207 show. It's a bummer we lost Verdum and Velasquez, but it's still a really good show. Um, the Lineker situation, he can knock out anybody, just like Garbrandt, but against John Dodson, we saw that Lineker struggled a little bit more with a guy who had good footwork. Uh, yeah. Michael McDonald, he doesn't have that great footwork. Rob Font, not as good a footwork. Francisco Rivera, same thing. And really the last person that John Lineker lost to was Ali Bagatinov, and who knows what kind of Russian EPO steroids he was taking. We know he got popped for EPO. Um, What is EPO? Huh? What is EPO? It is – I wish I could pronounce it. Oh, don't worry about it. I I don't know if it's some secret shit. Yeah, it's a it's, Ian it's Kidd on Twitter. Something, something yeah. does something. Gotcha. 
Guys, we have live coverage of so much stuff this weekend. Live streaming, Ryzen from Fightful.com. Our uh, podcast co-host on Wednesdays, Showdown Joe, over there doing commentary on the event. Uh, Also, of course, UFC 207 live coverage. Raw, SmackDown, TNA, Lucha Underground, all that good stuff. Don't forget Ryzen Ryzen this this weekend. I said that. I just said we're we're streaming the show on our site. Did you see the chick that weighed in and she's in a, like some kind of dominatrix outfit? Rin Nakai. Look her up. It is unique to say well, that. Uh, so you, re- you done recorded this shit to memory. You know what's going on. Well, she fought saw, in the UFC. I saw one picture, but you over there grinning like a damn cat. Like you got a secret photo on your laptop. Look there ain't nothing you. secret about it. I'm going to do this screen <laughs> share one day, and it's going to pop up, and people – did you see the dude who dressed up in the ramen noodle cup? <laughs> I, was he like a fighter? Because I saw the group weigh in. I saw a dude. I didn't know if that was like an well, advertisement thing. Josh Barnett was next to him, and maybe Josh Barnett's going to claim tainted ramen or something for that drug test. Why would you put your taint on some ramen? Oh. We're getting out of here. Tell these people where to follow you, Shane. Well, since Sean Sapp won't put my name on the screen. Uh, Sean Ross Sapp. Verified on Twitter. Award-winning Sean Ross Sapp. Um, at ShaneHelms.com is where you can find me on all things Shane Helms. That's Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr. Uh, I think I'm on Google Plus if it still exists. Uh, <laughs> I just got a new iPad, and I had to uh, bring up all my old apps, and uh, the MySpace app popped. I don't know what the uh, login oh, wow. information is, but I still had that. Uh I get, apparently when I first got my iPad. Um, but that's the Ask Shane Helms comment, and uh, check me out on this. I'm still with Keeping It 100 with Conan. That podcast, that drops on Thursdays, I think. Actually, Wednesdays at midnight. Oh. Um, so is our schedule on this one drops when? Uh, do we have a set schedule for when this Friday. one drops? Friday, Friday afternoon. Friday afternoon. Okay, so this one will be Friday. I got you. Keep, keep, them, keep them different. Yeah, yeah. Shane, I want to thank you for clearing up some of the rules, talking talking a little trash about some of these rules. Did I really uh, clear them up? <laughs> I think I cleared up a couple. Of, There's a couple. Hey, we had, to, we had to address them because we we got like a ton. And like I said, hey, what do you guys want us to talk about? We had like three people out of nowhere say, tell us why the hell these rules happen. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I like we it. can talk about it. The, de- the ejection rule, I definitely uh, am taking full credit for that. And I think that's something that we need to do further. As far as ejecting people out of these multi-person matches, that way you can have disqualifications. So that's something you'll continue to see. Uh, the no jury. T- quit wearing that shit, people. Come on now. I like you got some damn sense. Uh, otherwise, otherwise, you know, like it. My only no jewelry is going to be the Omega Tag Team Championships, my friends. Fightful.com yep. is the place to be. Till next time, guys. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.